More and more people are moving to cities, and that's going to affect almost every industry. We are very cautious and very aware to make a conscious effort to work with the ecosystem. What can the average person do to take action now? Not one person can change the world, but if we all do a little something different, it might help. Being open to embracing innovation. Know that you can make a difference. A absolutely. There's no excuse not to even do a little bit. Let's go check it out. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Going Green. As always, we appreciate it. A real quick shout out to our sponsor, Triwa. Triwa is a watch company that creates watches made from recycled plastic and deconstructed metal from guns. Uh, they're doing awesome things. They are my favorite watch company. I wear a lot of watches, I collect watches, and I have not taken off my watch from them since I received it. It's amazing. So if you are looking for a cool watch with a good cause uh, or as a gift, check out Triwa, Triwa.com. They are an amazing company. And let's get right back to that amazing content. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Going Green. I'm really excited to talk to our guest today, Kevin Wolf. He's the president at Wind Harvest International. And I've been doing a lot of research uh, on this company and this organization, and they're doing some really exciting things um, so I've been, uh, been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. So Kevin, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Dylan. I'm happy to uh, tell people about this unexpected um, resource that we can bring to the world's efforts to reverse global climate change. You know, the, the, there's not many places around the world that have near ground wind speeds, but there are enough of them that we can build out hundreds of thousands of megawatts of new near ground wind energy in existing wind farms and probably provide the lowest cost source of energy of any of the options available. I love it. So real quick, let's kind of dive back and reverse a little bit. How did Wind Harvest International come about in the first place? I mean, most people, you know, when they're driving, they see um, you know, the big wind farms out there on the horizon, but you guys are doing something a little bit different. So kind of explain how the company got started and what you're doing a little bit differently. Well, I'm going to dive in and, and tell you a little bit about the origin story. There was a, um, uh, a person named Bob Thomas, a brilliant engineer who um, knew a lot about wind energy. Um, he is also a follower of Carl Jung, of Jungian psychology. And he uh, went to a retreat with um, a guy named George Wagner, who became one of the founders, an environmentalist attorney, and the founder of the retreat, um, uh, and an artist named Sam Francis, one of the best known abstract artists in the world. And on the first night of this retreat, he had a reoccurring dream of him climbing a cliff and coming on the cliff to these stars. And he was frozen on the cliff until he grabbed one of the stars and then he could actually climb the cliff. And these people were so mesmerized by his dream, his reoccurring dream, that they told him that they should, he should quit his job, that they'll finance him to go figure out what the dream meant. Wow. So they started this company. He quit his job with the China Naval Weapons Station. And he uh, figured out at the end of the year that it was he's supposed to build vertical axis wind turbines with columns on the points of a star that send the energy in the wind into the middle of the rotor. And he built a scale model of it. And voila, it worked. And that was the start of the company. 
Wow, that is amazing. I mean, it's not very often that someone's dream gets funded and is, you know, 30, 30 some odd years later, uh, a full on business, you know, and a business that's doing good things. Um, what's a, what are some kind of myths that you've seen in the wind turbine industry that's sort of perpetuated in the media that you'd like to kind of talk about? And what are you guys kind of working on that's a little bit different from that? Right. So the Oh, so the, the one of the myths is that there isn't any near ground wind that's worth tapping. And this comes because in the Midwest, there is a wind shear in Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas. As you fly a plane into a Midwest airport and you get close to the ground, all of a sudden the plane drops because it moves into lower flowing speed wind from fast wind. And the Clearly, you wouldn't want to put wind energy turbines near the ground when the wind is so much faster up above. So a lot of the industry thinks that's it for wind. You go up higher above the ground to get faster moving wind, and the energy in the wind is the cube of the wind speed. Oh my gosh, the difference between a, you know, a 14 mile an hour wind speed and an 18 mile an hour wind speed, double the energy output in 18 versus 14 because of the cube energy. So clearly, faster moving wind is the key. But in California, and in places like Costa Rica and New Zealand, and where there are mountains and passes, the wind speeds up over the ground and in between these mountains. And that speed of effect causes the wind near the ground to be very fast. And most people do not know this. Most people in the industry do not know this. So we've spent a lot of work recently with Underwriter Laboratory. They have a program called Wind Navigator. It's fairly expensive, but with that program, we have gotten wind speed data from almost, from every wind farm we can find around the world, around 40% of them. And it shows that around 20% of the wind farms in the world have excellent near ground wind resources. But there is no technology that the wind farm owner can use to make use of that wind. And that is the original origination story of the company. That, uh, those people knew there was near ground wind. And it's been the goal of the company to bring a technology into the market that can add a second layer underneath the tall turbines and make use of this very turbulent but energetic resource. So I'll say that's the first myth that needs to be removed. That's amazing. So you're, there's already these wind turbine fields, the, the structure's already there. You're identifying the places where you can go in and best put the near ground devices. So yes. it's not so, taking up any new space or anything. Yeah. So we just finished a report on uh, Solano uh, County in near San Francisco. And there is 1000 megawatts of the tall turbines in this resource area. And then they cannot expand it anymore. If you go north, it goes into Travis Air Force Base airplane flight paths. And those airplanes do not like to go into things that are 100 to 200 meters tall. And they affect radar. And there's all these other issues. They don't want those turbines in their flight paths. So they restricted the turbines in that area to less than 100 feet tall. Well, that's our turbines. So looks like we can take that thousand megawatts and add 4,000 megawatts of additional wind turbines underneath and lower than that flight path in the right in the heart of Northern California. So there's so few options and these areas are so small geographically 
that to not use them to their full extent would be a shame. So we're, we're pleased to finally have a technology that can make use of these resources. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it's exciting to see kind of all of this technology come together. Where does your passion for renewable energy come from? Because you've been in this industry for a long time and not only where does your passion come from, but can you share some, you know, maybe stories that you've experienced along the way, sort of big wins and big breakthroughs that you've seen um, throughout your career? Yeah, so I was a, uh, got out of UC Davis with a degree in ecology and evolution and was a river guide as my summer job and started volunteering to help a nonprofit organization called of the river try to save the Stanislaus River from the New Malonis Dam. And one of the main reasons for building the New Malonis Dam is we needed clean, renewable energy. But it destroyed this amazing river to create that dam. And in the early 1980s, there were no choices for clean energy except dam building. And if you love rivers like I did, it was like, oh, this is horrible. The only place we can get rid of coal and gas and oil is by damming our remaining rivers. That's a terrible trade-off. So when I met George Wagner on one of these river trips, one of the co-founders, and he told me the dream story, and he told me about their wind turbines, I was elated. Really? We can get energy from wind? He said, yeah, we can even get it from solar. Oh, come on, really? And of course, that was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, they, that was the start of it. And so part of my passion is, yeah, if you go, we can make wind energy as cheap as we think we can make it. There's not a reason to keep these dams around. A mm -hmm. lot of these dams can be taken down. They're eventually going to have to be taken down because they wear out. Mm -hmm. But they can be taken down sooner because we'll have so much abundant, low-cost renewable energy from wind that we won't need the dams anymore. So that's part of my passion. That's awesome. That's a great story because it literally goes from, you know, a dream to almost a chance encounter of you connecting on the river. Right. And, you know, like you said, solar, like no way. And yet now we're at a point where, you know, solar technology, wind technology is getting to a point where it's, it's cheaper. They're than the cheapest. Fuels. And what I think is amazing about that is actually renewable energy technology is getting more efficient than other renewable energy technology that's worse for the environment. And, you know, I don't think anyone wants to, you know, damage any rivers. So if we can do that, it's just, it's win-win all around and the technology is just going to keep getting more and more um, affordable. So that's really cool. I mean, it's, I'm sure you've seen a lot of amazing things happening in, you know, the industry over time. Where do you kind of envision it going within the next five to 10 years? So what I think is going to happen is that uh, what the wind industry has told us is that, yeah, of course they're interested in using the near-ground wind. But if you're a wind farm owner or developer, it's not your business to develop the technology. Your business is to buy the technology. And so they're encouraging us, yeah, get the technology so we can buy it. The big wind farm manufacturers like GE, Investas, and Siemens, they're all focused offshore. Massive, larger and larger turbines past five megawatts now to 10 megawatts. Now they're talking about 20 megawatt turbines. These are massive, massive things. And the head of technology for Vestas told us, Kevin, we have so much to focus on for offshore that we have no bandwidth for doing anything outside and you're outside the norm. When you figure it out, we will be very interested in your technology. But unfortunately getting the big players to focus on something completely new 
is not really what they do. So it's really up to the entrepreneurs, the the people now that you know how do you how do you get something new into the world, uh, and that's what we're working on. That's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm a huge believer in you know entrepreneurship and small businesses really kind of driving that change, especially in an industry like renewable energy where you know you do kind of need. Um, those private investors and those people willing to kind of take a little bit of a chance to prove it works. And what's funny to me is, you know, I don't see what you're doing that far outside of the norm compared to what they're doing. I'm sure, you know, it is, but I imagine pretty soon it's all going to be, you know, kind of one, one kind of big thing, you know, it's, it almost doesn't make sense where they're just focusing on this one space and leaving other areas totally open. It's just getting that one done and then, okay, cool, on to the next one. And you guys are there ready to, to have it when they're ready for that. So let me tell you another story because it's uh, about, your, about the things coming together. There was a professor at Caltech named John DeBerry and he was studying schools of fish. He's a bioengineer. And he noticed that schools of fish, that they swim and their tails create counter-rotating uh, vortices, that they naturally evolved to swim this way and that the school of fish moved along and dead fish in the school of fish would move with the school of fish. And he figured out that, oh, these coupled vortices, they're actually done right. They can create a synergy around each other. So he looked up coupled vortexes and he found our patent for doing this around wind turbines. Mm. He contacted us and our turbines were too big to do the experiment. So he got these two megawatt, two kilowatt, small little H-type turbines like ours, put 20 of them out there in a field near Caltech in LA and did these field studies and showed that these turbines, when they are placed close together, cause the faster moving wind above the ground to move towards the ground. He calls it planned form kinetic flux, the movement of fast moving wind from up above down to the ground. Well, it became clear that if you do this right, you can bring that faster moving wind into the tall turbines of the existing turbines. So now all of a sudden you're getting free energy out of these turbines by placing our types of turbines underneath them. So I keep thinking, well, you know, maybe, you know, mother nature's out there trying to tell us, come on people, I've got these resources. I can help you get out of this problem with global climate change. Just make use of these gifts I'm giving you. There's a synergy in wind farm. There's this near ground wind. Come on, get it together and use it. That's fascinating. And it's, it sounds like you're, you're right there. It's really cool. Um, I know you've recently, and I say you, you, know, you and the team at Wind Harvest International have done a, a crowdfunding campaign that's seen a lot of success so far. Kind of tell us a little bit about that and you know, how that's going. And also, you know, what can people do to support you and get involved? Great. Well, so the problem has been for most companies like ours is that to get to the end of the technology development process is a long haul. You can't sell the technology until you finish the process. What venture capitalists and a lot of startup angel investors are used to is somebody starting a software company and starting selling product right away and having revenue right away. You can't do that with an energy generating technology. You have to finish it before you make sales. And so they've had some bad experiences with these kinds of technologies and so they don't fund it anymore. 
very rarely. And so finally, after a few years of trying and trying to get you know, the next step of the funding in our campaign, we realized it's not happening. So we need to go to this crowdfunding, which has been set up a couple years ago, that allows the general person to actually invest and get a direct return on their investment in these kinds of startup companies. So that is why we went to crowdfunding. We are on the WeFunder platform, and we're about to hit the $500,000 mark raised over the last two months. And we had to spend a lot of time to figure out a new way to do this such that the investor is pretty secure in the investment and we don't have a thousand new investors on our stock books mm -hmm. because there's going to be about there's already almost 400 people invested and we're expecting a thousand people to have come in on this investment by the time it's done um, so this new company it loans uh, it takes com uh, provides convertible promissory notes at 10 percent to investors that note lasts for seven years. They get paid annually their 10% in January for the previous year's loan amount. And then they also get a pro rata share of 640 shares of stock in our company. And we are planning on doing an, a public offering in a few years. And then those stock have value and we'll mm -hmm. sell some of those. And then they'll get this sweetener of this stock above their interest payment. And so the idea is, well, this is usually what, the VCs and the very well-to-do get a chance to get into a company before it's publicly traded. And that's where they make their large amounts of money. When they find a company like ours before it's publicly traded and get the shares before it's Series B round. And so it's made me very happy to realize, oh, it isn't just the very, very well-to-do who are going to get a chance to invest in a company like this. It's now anybody. And uh, everybody has a right, according to the new law, to invest $2,200 a year in or more in a crowdfunding company. So that is that makes me happy to see so many new people coming in and getting a chance to to take part of this. That's a that's a sweet deal, honestly. Wait, so what was that last part you said about the $2,200? Because I haven't heard about this before. Oh yeah, so. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, doesn't want people to lose their life fortune investing in startup companies. Mm -hmm. So they limit it to $2,200. Everybody can do it. No matter how much money you make, you can invest $2,200. Above that, you could only invest 5% of your net annual income. Hmm. So if you make $100,000 a year, you can invest $5,000 a year in, in, uh, through crowdfunding campaigns. Got it. Wow. So there, there is the limit on it. Mm -hmm. Huh. I never knew that. That's really interesting. Well, congrats again on that. I mean, you, you must be really excited in two months to raise that kind of money is no easy feat. Um, first off, Kevin, I want to thank you. I could, you know, talk about this stuff all day and I definitely want to have you back on the show. Um, cause we're really just kind of diving into it, but, uh, as we do wrap things up, what's kind of one action item that you'd like to sort of give to the average person who, um, you know, they see these wind turbines, you know, out on, on, a, on a mountaintop or a field as they're driving along and they don't know much about it, but want to get a little bit more involved and just support, you know, companies like Wind Harvest International. Um, what advice do you have for them? Well, they can certainly come to our website, windharvest.com, and they can contact us. They can say, hey, I think I've got a windy piece of property, or I know a friend that has a windy piece of property. We can go evaluate that no cost for them, come back and tell them how windy it really is. 
And if it is really windy, then we'll help them put up an anemometer mast to actually measure the wind. Because if it's a windy resource near the ground, we're very interested in that. Um, they can also find through our website how to potentially invest. Um, there's, all, there's other things they can do. We're kind of one of the odd wind, wind sites that's trying to make information transparent. Mm -hmm. How much information can we find about near ground wind and how much can we share it and not make it proprietary? So that's an, um, we're welcome people to come and check us out. Awesome. Well, uh, to everyone who tuned into this episode, of course, we always appreciate you listening and watching, supporting the show. Um, as Kevin said, there's a, a number of different ways to get involved. If you have a, a windy property, reach out, or if you'd like to invest, um, again, I was looking at their, uh, their, uh, GoFundMe campaign or not GoFundMe, um, we funder. We funder, and it has some really amazing information on there. So be sure to check that out too. Um, Kevin, again, want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to be here. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dylan. Good job on what all you're doing. Oh, thank you very much. And then, as always, to everyone who tunes in, watches, listens, shares the content, supports the show, supports uh, the guests we have on the show, we really appreciate it. Our goal is to continue to bring guests like Kevin leaders in the renewable energy space and uh, just highlight their story and give you ways to get involved. Um, so please tune in and we'll see you on the next episode of Going Green. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Dylan. Thanks.